The following presentation was recorded live at the 2014 National Bioneers Conference. To learn more about Bioneers programs and media products, visit www.bioneers.org. I'm Jamie Cloud from the Cloud Institute for Sustainability Education. And I'm Linda Boo Sweeney, and I'm an author, educator, and a friend of Jamie's. <laughs> Systems thinker extraordinaire. Systems thinker, right. And I'm Kirk Bergstrom. I'm executive director of WorldLink, a nonprofit based in San Francisco, uh, the director of the Nourish Initiative, which is focused on food literacy, and kind of a chef of big ideas. So looking forward to sharing some today. And I just want to say, for those of you that chose this session, you're in for a real treat, because we have some deep experience here that will be really fun to share. And we want to learn from you as well. And part of our design of this is really to engage you in a conversation. Every time I step into a gathering like this, I'm reminded of the experience and wisdom of each of you. So we're going to kind of mix it up and give you a chance to talk to one another and to us. And we'll share some stories and experience. So uh, get ready for a lot of action. And speaking of that, where are the higher education folks in the room? OK, great. K-12? Okay, and is that faculty and administrators? Was that faculty mostly? Administrators? Okay, great. Community leaders? Foodies? <laughs> what else do you want to know? Nonprofit organizations? I uh, love Anybody it. not have a category that we called? Parents? Parents. Yeah. Great. What else? Outside. Yeah, non-formal yeah. educators. Any students? We're all students. We're all students. Yeah. <laughs> uh, government? Okay. Great. We're going to start. Uh, there are a lot of educators in the room, so the whole idea of the think, pair, share. Ooh, Actually, no. we want to start oh. with a little... Oh, uh, that's right, with the exercise. Okay, go for it. So this is optional, but I highly recommend you take part. Um, we figured because we have a little bit of room and we can spread out that we might do a, a simple three-minute activity that would get us uh, into the, the spirit of this session. So what I'd like to ask you to do if you want to participate is to stand up. And the key is that you have enough room to put your arms out, so you might have to spread out just a little bit. I need both hands, so can you hold this just for a second? <laughs> okay, so what you want to do is just spread your arms out like this, and then without pulling a muscle, because I don't want to hear anything afterwards, uh, very slowly go to your right side as far as you can and just stop naturally where, the, where you stop, and make a note to yourself where you started. Stop, look on the wall, wherever you are, okay? So I, I know where I am. Now come back to the middle. Okay, and then you're going to just do a very gentle stretch. Go over your head. Take a big breath in from the bottom of your stomach. And let it out. Ready? And then do a little shake. Okay, now shoulders up. And then all the way back to the back. Okay, now we're going to go back out again. Same arms. And now this time go back to that same side and go as far as you can. Can everyone go a bit further the second time? Jimmy wants to do this. <laughs> what do you think? Why, why do you think we got a little further the second time? 
stretch. And you know, one of the things that we're really realizing is that education for sustainability requires a stretch in a lot of ways, our mentally, heart, you know, on all levels. And so sometimes we just have to remember that we have to warm up, stretch, and actually push ourselves to go just a little bit farther. So we don't want to be lopsided, right? So we better go to the other side. So we're going to go left. Goes back again, make that natural stop. Here, you stretch down, Jamie. <laughs> Sorry. And then come back. And now this time we're going to, if you can hear me, Go over as far as you can, gentle, gentle. Kind of look up to the ceiling, and then come back, and then deep breath in, and then down, and then maybe the other side, okay? Look up to the ceiling. Okay. <laughs> come down. One more up to the top, and then you're going to go down and over with a big breath out. Ready? Okay. Now, we're going to go back to the helicopter arms. We're going to go back to that. Left side, I think, if everybody went left, whatever. Yeah. Go back as far as you can. Woo. Ah. Okay. See how far you can go when you stretch a little? <laughs> Yoga for sustainability. <laughs> okay. You go first. of education and then find someone next to you to have that conversation for another couple of minutes and then we'll get a few share outs. Education for what? I'll keep time. You may have to get up and find somebody. So quiet reflection first. Two minutes. When you're ready, find somebody to talk to.
One more minute. Make sure both parties get a chance to share. So finish your thoughts, finish your sentences, say the last words, and we'll gather together. We're doing the Girl Scout thing. So a few examples of what came up in your conversations, just a few. We won't be able to capture all the delicious conversations. Who's willing to share what emerged from your conversation? I'm always working on my wait time, so I don't mind waiting. Yes. You can stand up if you don't mind. You said to survive and thrive. To survive and to thrive. Seems like a worthy reason to get up in the morning. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because we need to change the way we think to a more whole systems approach. We would agree with that. What else? Yeah? So restoring the earth and through active learning experiences where students actually experience making a difference. Yeah. Another worthy, worthy reason. Any other good ones? Yes? to become educated voters and responsible citizens and to do uh, a great deal of critical thinking and analysis, both a secondary and I would say that starts, all of that starts in elementary school. Um, yeah. Um, and then I'll get. To, to become passionate about learning as a, like a lifelong mm. Yes, to prepare people to become passionate learners and to prepare them for the unpredictable and for scenario planning, if you will. Yeah? Um, I think it's about
course of the soil maintains nearly that number it's able to maintain a limited growth. He wrote this in 1759. Love it. So if we could teach that part of Adam Smith and have a continued dialogue, that's to me this one part. So for the purposes of the recording, I'm going to paraphrase that it's about seeking the truth and increasing our understanding and making sure that we've got multiple points of view historically and across the world to, um, to consider in a nutshell. One more. Yeah. Ah, yes, to create favorable conditions, if you will, to cultivate our inner uh, strengths and to find our unique contribution. I'm adding, I'm riffing off of yours. <laughs> um, did I see one more hand right up here in the front? Yes, one more. To create a process so that we can become more human human beings. I would say that's a good start. So even if it was just to do those things, and I'm sure there are many other things, um, I think we can all agree it's a worthy endeavor. And since uh, we have all the children and young people legally required to be in schools for quite a few years, and then we have them in non-formal and informal settings in college and university, um, uh, this is a, a worthy conversation. I'm going to turn it over to Kurt. I've got a mic. You've got your own. Well, one of the things we wanted to do is try to provide some context about what it is we mean when we say education for sustainability. I think you could ask that to 100 people and get 100 different answers. So we wanted to provide a few entry points that'll sort of help set up the rest of our conversation today. So the first thing is I'm going to show you three definitions for the word sustainability. And again, many definitions. And I think it's important to bring some rigor to what we mean when we say sustainability. This is one of my favorite from Danella Meadows, a society that is far as seen enough, flexible enough, and wise enough not to undermine either its physical or its social systems of support. The slide's a great metaphor, too. We have the International Space Station above Spaceship Earth and a good reminder of our life support systems here on Earth. Here's another definition of sustainability, the long-term integrity of the biosphere and human well-being. And you can start to see a little bit of the connection with the, the first definition. It really is about this relationship between the ecological context and the social. It's not just me. <laughs> and finally, here's another definition of sustainability, the possibility that humans and other life will flourish on Earth forever. So I think one of the things about education for sustainability is it is aspirational. It's intentional. And it really asks us to envision a future that we want to inhabit. And I think that's such a wonderful place to put human beings is in that aspirational place.
So what is it about educational, education for sustainability that really creates this great opportunity? Well, one of the things that we like to say is education for sustainability is not a subject or a discipline. It's really a context for learning and for teaching. And, and it's a vision. So again, it's that aspirational place. And we talk about the whole school because education for sustainability should not be something that gets tucked into environmental science or you know, as part of recycling campaigns. It really is a context, and you could say a rationale, for the entire school community. And I think when it's used that way, you start to see how it can infuse all of the disciplines you know, the physical systems of the school, such as architecture and waste and food. And so we really want to think about it as a context and a rationale and a vision. And of course, the community is part of that. And we want to draw on the resources from the community, the experience of the community, and give students an opportunity to be in the community in terms of service learning and things like that. We also think about education for sustainability as a whole system of inquiry. And so the content and competencies required for students to actively participate in creating a sustainable uh, future. And this takes us to many of the things that you were talking about in that share out. You know, what are those core competencies that are required to design and create a sustainable future? And I think that's a, a question that's so wonderful to dwell on and, and we will certainly uh, talk about today. The other thing about education for sustainability is it is inherently transdisciplinary. And, and this is so important and so wonderful that it allows us to traverse many different disciplines. And we've listed just a few here, climate literacy, ecological literacy, design thinking, geospatial literacy, which is understanding place and time, uh, systems thinking. And so we really do want to connect these disciplines in a way that you know, is more than the sum of the parts. And uh, I, I think one of our, our real challenges as a field is to map this set of disciplines that really is at the, the foundation of education for sustainability. And by the way, if you would like this set of slides, just leave us your email address, and we'll make sure you get them, because I know we're all educators. We have to have our stuff. And one of the great resources that you may or may not be aware of is through the Cloud Institute, which is Jamie's organization. She has some wonderful enduring understandings and indicators and standards that really help to map this out in great detail. So, those resources are all available online. Yeah. I'll just say that that list is in your. Right just a second. That list is on was on your seat, so you can see a lot of the resources right there. I would say we should take clarifying questions now, and then we'll get into the juicy questions during the Q and A, if that's okay with you. You know, here's another kind of signpost for the field. You know, a transformation and transformative learning process. And it really, I think someone said this earlier about new ways of thinking and acting that ensure responsible citizenship, economic prosperity, and a healthy environment. Um, so again, you kind of get the sense that this is very intentional. It's very much about context and producing results that generate a sustainable future. I was very fortunate during my younger years to have as a mentor the late architect and designer Buckminster Fuller. 
And one of the things that I learned from him was really the challenges we face, the epic challenges we face, require a design-led revolution. Uh, you can think about the, the challenges we have, and all of them require a design response, whether it's redesigning institutions, whether it's redesigning a system like the energy system or the transportation system or the educational system. We really do need to develop what Fuller called design scientists. And you know, this is just a little model of some of the things that make up a design-led approach, considering the whole, which is really systems thinking, a comprehensive view, anticipating the future so that there is a, a real commitment to uh, envisioning and designing the future, a sense of place, and then what I think is really you know, at the heart of a lot of this is design with nature, drawing on principles from things like biomimicry uh, and, and other forms of bio-inspired design. And together, these really, you know, give us a place to stand in regard to the design of education for sustainability programs. Kirk has the most beautiful slides of all of us, so we, we like it when he does this part. <laughs> so, that's just some, some quick context, and hopefully, you know, that triggered for you some connections and questions and relationships. And so now we want to return to our kind of think-pair-share format really quickly. And uh, Linda, sure. you're good? Yeah, I'm good. Take it over. So just like we did before, we wanted to do one more opportunity for you to come together. And the question this time is, what will happen if we educate for sustainability, and what will happen if we don't? I just flip that, but you know, if we don't, what, what, what's the outcome, and if we do? I mean, so you can answer both of those questions and then have the other person answer, do it however you want, but just take a few minutes to think about it and then share with, you can mix it up if you want or stay with the same person, and we'd like, love to hear a couple of thoughts after you do that.
You're not going to say that. Okay? Are you going to say that? No. No, you're not. Okay, if we could come back together. So really curious to hear anyone willing to tell us what you think would happen either way? If we educate for sustainability or not? Gloria was pointing out that... Would you mind standing up? It would just be helpful for everybody. Yeah, thanks. Gloria was pointing out that it's crucial that it's not just whether we do or do not educate for sustainability. 
okay, are we including everyone? What level are we talking about? Are we, are we getting, going right to the people and what, what each of that individual communities need, or is it more, you know, the prescriptive words? All the people, all the time, everywhere. Yeah. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And if we do, then there will be more people who are like the people who come to others. So if we don't, uh, status quo. If we do, more of us. Yeah. Now, <laughs> okay. I, heard, I heard something different than status quo, because things don't stay the same, right? So I heard we'd be on the trajectory we're on now, which is, it's not going to stay the same. That's okay. an important thing to note. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Just, just for repeating for the recording, if we don't, we don't have a future. If we do, more people are pioneers, more people who can take care of the planet, who, who will do the right thing. That's not exactly what you said, but you know, that's the idea. Okay. Do you want to say anything, Jamie? Way back. Okay, go. So it's interesting, Wendell Berry would call that solving for pattern, you know, the idea of an elegant solution, solving multiple um, problems with one solution. Um, so there'd be many benefits if we do ed educate for sustainability. Right, great. So easy for s sustainability to become yet another subject or yet another add-on. In actual fact, the whole education system has to change and be absorbed by sustainability, not the education system absorbing sustainability, the other way around. Yeah. And education for sustainability, not education about unsustainability. That's a different field. Right, <laughs> right here in the back. The question we talked about a little bit uh, was what will happen if we do. Um, we don't know. 
Um, we don't know where we are on the curve of, of waste and pollution and so forth. Um, but really underneath that, a question of, well, if we continue to educate uh, for sustainability in what we think are the best practices today, are they the practices that will get us to where we need to be? So I think we need to seriously look at the education process. And my own work is in understanding living systems. And, uh, and, and I hold the understanding that living systems is the theory that underlies sustainability. So if we don't shift, from my perspective, if we don't shift from a mechanical orientation to a living systems orientation, we aren't going to get where we need to go. And if we don't shift from a worldview of perceived or real scarcity to one that the earth provides um, sufficiency, then we probably aren't going to get to where we need to go. Mm -hmm. So there's major, major changes. We've institutionalized not being sustainable, and education is one of the institutions. I just, I have to say, I'm just, I wish we had a parking lot for some of these ideas because one of the things you just said is we're on a curve and we don't know where we are. And I wonder how far, what it would take for us to know, to have the data, to have the information, for that to be more generally available so that action is more easily taken. You know, is it the, do you, is that what you're saying, that we don't have that information in front of us so we can't take action? Yeah, okay. Wouldn't it be great if we could learn that in school? Yeah, yeah, great. I would maybe add to it that I think sustainability is also about uh, educating young people to become hol um, happy people holistically. Um, what I mean is that they live a full life and, and that basically is a question of values, who they want to be. Um, and I think it's a philosophical approach. We need the science, but we also need maybe a philosophical approach. What are the values that people want to live? Mm -hmm. Great. So how about one more? We have one. Oh, yeah, right there. Go ahead. I think there's a, there's a moral part of this too. I think the next, as increasingly new, younger generations are going to be facing tremendous climate catastrophes and fighting for scarcer and scarcer resources, whether it's water, whether it's food, whether it's air. And so how, they, how we and they deal with that is, are we going to hold on to what I got and fuck the rest of the world? Or do I see my responsibility for what's being caused, and do we try to deal with a world in which we all benefit? You know, there's the Dick Cheney approach. Well, we'll I'll get a spacesuit and survive everything, or my family will. But I think how we approach this, are we responsible for not just ourselves and our local society, but how are we going to face these things in the future, and what responsibilities do we have? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So. We thought we'd just give you a very quick sense of what the rest of the session would be like in case anybody likes a roadmap. Um, so next we'll do, um, Jamie will give us some context for uh, education for sustainability, just a little bit of grounding. And then we'll have a panel conversation with a couple of juicy questions and some, an opportunity for some Q&A and interaction and 
good conversation. It's really going to be like sitting at a bar having a conversation. We, so we've we got the bar. We borrowed the, the bar stools <laughs> from the bar. Consider okay. us a jazz trio that will be right. providing Riffing. some. That's uh, the mood we're point. in. Not so much. Yeah, that's now, the mood we're in. Be, before Jamie provides some detail that will help us jump to the panel, one thing I'm really curious about is the gap between these two things in terms of the teaching and learning that you're doing in your own setting or your own organization. So to follow up on the, the stretch exercise, what I'd love to know is put your hands out if you think the gap between the current condition of teaching or, and learning for unsustainability is big, or if you think it's kind of medium or small in your setting. Because I'm just curious kind of what people are experiencing right now. So in what your, does it yeah. look like, the gap in your setting? Put your hands up. Is the gap big or small? Pretty big in most places, some medium size. Not too many small gaps. Okay. We got some work to do. Yeah, got a little bit of work to do. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think what's instructive about that is just, you know, we we do have so much work to be done. And, you know, my hope is really that everyone in this room is part of the the brigade that will go out and, and help to to uh, you know, minimize that gap. Yeah. The reason we asked also what happens if we don't is that the brain scientists are really clear that if you're asking people to rewire, uh oh, oh, you did it. If you're asking people to rewire their brains, which is what a paradigm shift look like, looks like to a brain scientist, um, sometimes we have to exercise our free won't so that we can exercise our free will to do something new and different. So sometimes you have to decide not to do something so you can decide to do something else. That's why we framed the questions the way we did. Because it might seem like a rhetorical question to say, what happens if we don't? But you really do need to consider that to prepare you for rewiring to educate for the future we want. So I'm in the field about 80% of the time working in districts and communities and school buildings bringing the new paradigm into curriculum, teacher education, organizational learning, administrative leadership. And I just wanted to share with you a few of the slides um, that we work with to give you a picture for how it actually works. Because I'm always working on communicating that this is joyful work. Thinking about doing it seems very overwhelming and scary. Doing it, joyful work. Absolutely joyful. I have people giggling over unpacking standards, I swear to you. Um, it's a lot of fun to do this work. And so um, the first thing I want to share with you is just that we see the work, the who and the where, as nested systems. So the individual learner is at the center of the spiral. Of course, that's all of the young people that we work with, our students. But it's also all of us and every individual. So there's individual learning at the heart of this work. Those individuals are nested inside classrooms of adults and young people learning together. Those classrooms are nested inside a whole organization that learns. To the gentleman back there's point, the whole organization has to be a living system and learn and read feedback and self-correct that unlike the industrial model, quite a big paradigm shift there, that organization is nested inside living buildings that have delicious materials and, and no toxins and great food, uh, regional seasonal organic food and, and um, green, clean energy and transportation and so forth, all the physical aspects 
of the organization and then right out to the community that learns. So we see schools and communities learning together for the future we want as one of those critical units of study. Again, a big paradigm shift. This is our definition of a school that learns. So I'm gonna ask you to take a look at that and then um, I'll ask you one question about that. I guess I'll do it for the recording. In schools that learn, everyone's encouraged to keep thinking, innovating, collaborating, talking candidly, improving their capabilities, self-correcting, and making personal commitments to a shared future. Who's working in an institution like that, in an organization like that right now? Great, that's the most show of hands I've ever seen. Usually I see one or two hands from a new school that's trying to be a learning organization. That's actually a great sign that more and more people are realizing um, that it can't really work in that other old model. Um, yay. We, whenever we go into a system, and of course there's no beginning or end in a system. When you start making change in a system, you start where there are favorable conditions. Um, and those favorable conditions are generally speaking, the early adopters. The people who are ready to go that you don't need to convince to do the work. So we're innovators in this field. In technology integration, I'm probably a little further down the, the, the innovation diffusion curve, but in education for sustainability, we're definitely innovators. We always start working in a system with the people who are ready to go. Their job is to, to produce evidence that the water is fine for that next group, the early majority. There are whole bodies of literature about the little line they call the chasm between this, these folks that start something rolling, a, a disruptive innovation, and that section. Whole bodies of literature, great book called Crossing the Chasm that I highly recommend. How do you get a disruptive innovation to become mainstream, which is what we're talking about. You won't see it in education literature. It's in innovation literature. Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. You cross the chasm in case you don't read the book, Three things to remember. Make the feedback visible, desirable, and doable for that next group. They're not against the innovation. They're just not gonna be the first on their block to do it. You make it visible, desirable, and doable for that next group, they'll come along. Once they come along, the next group comes along, and that last group, let's just say a problem is a solution in the wrong place. And I won't tell you what my grandmother would call them. And finally, I just wanted to give you, um, this is a new uh, configuration because again, people keep thinking it's so overwhelming and it's not. Um, it's completely doable. People are doing it all the time. Uh, and so this is kind of the whole system of change at the local and regional level that I think might be useful to you for how all the, the pieces work together. So the desired state is what drives everything in our world. And of course, a sustainable future is our desired state. Regenerative capacity is even better, but no easier to sell, I can tell you. Um, so we'll call it a sustainable future. That's our aspiration. That's where we want to go. In order to get there, we need to change our thinking, as everybody's been saying in the room. So we've created a set of enduring understandings, new paradigms, new frames 
for people to operate with. And we're not going into detail on all that today, but you need a different frame, a different paradigm to move to a different future. Then you, you start thinking differently. I've got the EFS content and knowledge in that left-hand box. You start learning new things. You've got a different way of thinking. You're learning new things. You're asking different questions about what you can do, what we can do, how we're supposed to do it. We start to employ new tools, new ways of thinking, new strategies. We integrate those new strategies into our practice. We reflect on it, and we go back around, and that never ends. This is always, always, always about learning. And we do all of that. We start with those early adopters, but then we go th to everybody. We start with the first cohort and the sec second cohort and the third. By the time you get to the fourth cohort, you don't need cohorts anymore. Everybody's doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a beautiful thing. And all of that happens in one of those places. Sometimes we start in the community, and then we bridge to the schools. Sometimes we start in the schools, and we bridge out to the community. It doesn't matter where you start. Um, as long as you have the whole system in mind and you know where you're going. Um, so that's really what I wanted to say. Um, hit it, Kirk. Great. Thank you, Jamie. Yeah, and I think you know, what's important is this work is underway. There are real strategies. There are real materials. And you know, let's get to work. So for the next part of the, the panel, what we want to do is just share a little bit of our own experience and kind of riff off one another in the sense of insights that have been useful, challenges, et cetera, and then we'll open it up to your questions and conversation as well. Uh, so pictures of our team. <laughs> we weren't kidding. question was, could we reintroduce ourselves? And the answer is yes, we can. Linda, go ahead. So my name is Linda Booth Sweeney, and I'm a systems educator and author and many other things that we'll talk about in the next few minutes. Good. We're right on schedule. Great. Go ahead, Jean. So as I mentioned, our role at the cloud, oh, I'm Jamie Cloud. Uh, and I run the Cloud Institute for Sustainability Education in New York City. We work primarily with school systems and school districts um, and their communities to educate for sustainability to bring in the new paradigm. Uh, about 80% of our work is um, in, in the field and the other 20% is trying to figure out what the heck education for sustainability is and how you teach for it and assess for it. and. Um, the R&D side of the family, if you will. So some of the examples that I wanted to share start with, um, oh, sorry, go ahead, Kirk. <laughs> um, we are gonna have a lot to share, that's for sure. Uh, my name is Kirk Bergstrom. I'm executive director of WorldLink, which is a nonprofit uh, based in San Francisco. One of our flagship programs is called Nourish, which is focused on the intersection of food, health, and sustainability. Uh, like these two, I've been thinking about 
really the core questions that inform education for sustainability for a couple decades. And uh, what's exciting to me is to see, you know, all of the green tendrils and sprouts and fruit trees that are emerging in this area. And I think our, our challenge is really how to connect them in a meaningful way. And, and that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about and invite your feedback on. So now, now. to dig into our work. Um, the question that I'd like to pose to my ensemble here is, you know, kind of what is your role in this larger ecosystem? And uh, what are some examples of how you implement your work? Go ahead, Jane. Okay, so I'll start. So I consider myself a change agent. And as I mentioned, I do that two ways. It's praxis, basically. We're theorizing, and then we're putting into practice what we think, and then we're going iterating all the time. Um, a good example of a couple of those things um, in the field, we're basically working with new schools that are developing and existing schools that have to shift from old patterns. So that's quite different work, as you can imagine, in many cases. But it always involves teacher education, curriculum design, mapping the curriculum, which doesn't seem to be a very popular thing, but is actually quite gorgeous. Um, so one example I would give is a community in New Jersey. New Jersey has a statewide voluntary initiative called Sustainable Jersey. And now they have a Sustainable Jersey for schools. And it's kind of like a LEED certification, but at the municipal level. They started just with municipal initiatives. And I knew they wouldn't think of schools, because what do we have anything? We have all the children, young people legally required to be with us. What possible use could that have? Um, uh, which we'll get to when we get to the challenges. And so we started a leadership program for school folks and community leaders to come together as stakeholder groups through an eight-day process. And the first few years, they were talking about one another as if they weren't in the same room. <laughs> oh, you know, parents do this, and teachers this, and, you know, and I kept saying, she's right next to you. <laughs> um, you know, because we're so, schools and communities don't talk to it. We fight over taxes. That's what we do. So I always say, in addition to fighting over taxes, there may be some other things we can do together, uh, like educate our kids uh, as a community. So that um, is now quite a huge statewide initiative. And with Sustainable Jersey for Schools, we had an opportunity not only to do that kind of leadership, but to actually work with some whole districts to do this work. So they sign a resolution to educate for sustainability, and then we set off to working with teachers. And so it's top down, bottom up, inside out, outside in, uh, in connection to the Sustainable Community Initiative that, that is going on at the municipal level and the non-governmental level. So in that particular case, we started with teachers designing those innovative units of study, the early adopters, just demonstrating what it looks like. So for the first three years, it didn't look like much was happening to the outside world because we were all just busy designing curriculum and you know that's very time intensive work and quiet work and piloting and getting them just right. In that third year exactly, uh, the superintendent got a hold of the units and said, oh, that's what you've been talking about? I love it, I want the whole district to move in this direction. So all the little seeds that had been planted for the few years before I got there and the three years that I was there, suddenly all converged 
the community work that had been trying to work with the district, everything that had been happening suddenly came together in that moment. And now we have a whole huge stakeholder initiative, a big strategic plan, sustainability plan, soup to nuts, from teaching and learning to the physical plant to community relations, a beautiful holistic um, plan, which I can share with you. Again, just make a note of the, all the things you want us to share with you. Um, but that's how it works. Very similar to what I just described to you. Um, you start somewhere, and then you keep connecting the dots. You keep collaborating until you get that tipping point. And then, whoop, then, then you really don't need to do much. You just need to keep connecting the dots because the momentum is already moving. Um, so that's one example that I would share uh, of, of a district that already exists, that's already got years and years of curriculum. So we call it sustainabilizing the curriculum, embedding these new ways of thinking into existing curriculum. And what we embed, as Kirk mentioned earlier, we spent the first 25 years trying to figure out what is education for sustainability. So it's now in the form of enduring understanding, standards, performance indicators that can be embedded right into existing curriculum units through understanding by design. Many of you, I'm sure, are using understanding by design or what we call backwards design planning. Um, and so it's quite what people are used to, except it's the new paradigm, which people are so excited to bring in. And we just, I'll finish off the first example with, um, we have to shift the metaphor from the laundry list of add-ons, every new thing is an add-on, and no more time, you know, the list is too long already. I always say, well, that's the wrong paradigm to be operating with. The new paradigm, that's old school. New school is more like new vocabulary. When you learn new vocabulary, your sentences don't get longer they often actually get shorter because now you have a more precise and elegant way to say what you want to say. If you have children or you make new friends, your day doesn't get any longer. You just reorient your day. You set different priorities. You solve more than one problem at a time. Your day gets richer and richer, not longer and longer. That's the way we see uh, education for sustainability. The curriculum comes alive. The kids come alive. Uh, it's not one more thing. It is the thing. Set that up. I'll Lovely. Right well, I'm going to ask you to answer the same question, uh, Linda, in terms of uh, examples from your work. And you know, we've talked about new ways of thinking, uh, new paradigms, and so much of what you do is about a new way of thinking and new habits of mind. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, being who I am, I'm going to do a game as my way of <laughs> demonstrating. So you probably, we haven't really talked a lot about our backgrounds, but one of the things that um, I used to work for Outward Bound, and one of my Outward Bound um, partners is here, Santa. Um, long time ago, I worked in Outward Bound in New York City, and so I learned a lot about experiential, right? And it's a great combination with, you mentioned living systems. You know, my combination is experiential learning living systems, trying to get it out of the neck up kind of experience and more to, you know, more embodied um, learning. So I want to do a little thing with you right now that don't worry, it's, you don't have to hold hands. Um, it's you don't not going to be, sing. you don't have to <laughs> sing, you're not going to be embarrassed, I don't think. Uh, so it's very simple, you just have to use your finger. And you might want to put your finger and draw a nice clockwise circle on the ceiling. And your arm's really kind of straight, okay? And you're looking up. And now you're going to slowly bring, bend your elbow a little bit and bring that circle down. Keep drawing the same direction until you're looking down on that circle. 
So tell me, which way is that circle going now? <laughs> I love that. Works every time. Well, I don't know. Did it not? What, tell me honestly. You know, there's no. I don't. Don't tell me the answer you want me to hear. Tell me what really happened. <laughs> is it so? It was going clockwise at the top, right? And when you went like this, unless you went like this, if you went like this and you're looking down on it, which way is it going? Is it not like that for anybody? <laughs> That's fine. So I'm glad you said that because the truth is when I used to do this with a pen, right, and I learned over time to stop using the pen because when I did it with a pen, people would say, um, my pen's broken. <laughs> or they'd say, you tricked me. Or they'd say, I'm dumb. Now listen to those three responses. If you think about it, when you hit something that's a complex, that's a phenom that you don't understand, what's your response, right? I'm dumb, you tricked me, you know, all kinds of responses as opposed to it being a phenomena that you have to try to understand, right? The, but that's not actually a side point to this exercise. In terms of what we're talking about, think about an organization, let's say. At the top of the organization, you might be saying, oh, it looks like this. This is, what it's, this is how it's operating, right? And at the bottom of the organization, they're saying, no way. This is what it's like, right? What's the difference? Your perspective, perspective. right? In a, one of the habits of mind, and that's a lot of what I do as well for uh, understanding, taking a systems view of... Um, of earth, of an organization or whatever, is you need to change your perspective in that system to see it differently, to get the, the big picture. You know the story of the, uh, the blind man and the elephant? Does everybody know that story? If you do, anybody not know that story? Uh, right, I, I think I should tell you that story, even though I wasn't, can I do that real quickly? Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's just such a classic, great story for what we're talking about. It's a Sufi tale, and I don't really like the blind men part, but that's the original tale, so I got to tell it in that way. But they come in, they, they see this, they don't see this, sorry, they come upon an elephant, <laughs> and, you know, they're feel, feeling around, they feel the trunk, and somebody else feels the rough back, and somebody else feels the tail, and they're saying, oh, it's like a hose, or it's like a rug, this thing, you know, oh, it's like a rope, right? Somebody gets the, the poop, oh, it's squishy, you know, whatever. And that that's, they're arguing for what this elephant is based on their part. They can't see the whole. And in a lot of ways, Education for Sustainability calls us to um, come together, figure out a way that we can put those parts together and see the whole. And part of what we have to do is to, to literally sometimes change where we are in the system to see a different perspective. And that way you start to see the multiple parts, you can see the parts, but then the challenge is um, understanding how they interact with each other. So that for me, one of the things that I do is I try to take the ideas of living systems, the idea of, of seeing the whole, uh, anything that has to do with systems thinking and bring it out in a way that's accessible. So I'll just tell you, um, because that was your question, right? Am I coming back to the question? <laughs> so I have a, a book out that's called The Systems Thinking Playbook, and it's uh, authored with, um, co-authored with Dennis Meadows, um, and that's all experiential ways of learning about systems. We have another one that's coming out called The Systems Thinking Playbook for Climate Change. So it's all, again, games to learn about the actual, um, the you know, how climate change works. It's not just about how to advocate for change, but to understand the mechanics, if you will, of climate change. Um, and then does anybody know that um, uh, Danella Meadows, her um, Dancing with Systems 
that work. It's 12 wonderful ways of intervening in complex systems. It's called Dancing with Systems. You can find, just Google Dana Meadows or Danella Meadows. Anyway, one of the things that um, we're trying to do now is to create, um, do you know, if you know a man named David McCauley, he wrote, um, illustrated the way things work. It's a really classic, um, yeah. So he's joined up with the D Dana Meadows Institute and myself, and we're creating a, just one visual about the, the 12 um, intervention points. So to try to make it, and this is again a lot of what I do, is to try to make this stuff that feel, seems complex, just make it really accessible. And that's what David McCauley is so good at um, too. And then uh, I guess the only other thing, um, the, the big project that I would love people to know about and engage with with me is a project with PBS that's um, taking these systems ideas um, we, sh we could go into some of that maybe in the next conversation, what systems thinking really is. But we're putting it on the PBS learning domain, which is a wonderful site they have that they take all of the incredible PBS material and they repurpose it for teachers with all the the standards and the um, everything. But it's repackaged, basically, for educators to just grab and use in a school. And one of the ideas is to repackage it again, but to teach about systems and living systems. Um, because nobody's really asking for that right now, yet it's starting to come into our standards, right? Just if you look at the standards, thinking about systems is now, thank goodness, part of the standards. So kids are going to have to not just have math in one class, English in the next, science in the next. You have to be able to look across those disciplines to see the, the, why they're a system, how they're interrelated. Um, so that's pretty, that's very exciting. So that'll, when that, if you sign up on the newsletter, we could send out a note when that first, you know, when that's up, if anybody wants to engage and tell us what they think about that. So. And two quick things just to riff off of you. In that document, 12 places to intervene in a system, the most upstream place to intervene in the system is thinking about the thinking. The second most upstream is changing the thinking itself. That's why education is such a key leverage point here. And the other thing I wanted to say is that you can do systems thinking without necessarily educating for sustainability. I don't know why you'd want to, but you could. <laughs> but you cannot educate for sustainability without systems thinking. Well said. So yeah, um, there you have it. So we should turn the question to you. What would you say? What the heck have you been yeah. up to? <laughs> Well, just as a, a follow-on about systems thinking, there's no way we address the epic challenges of this era without it. So we've got to get it into education. And the resources that Linda spoke of are great starting points. Uh, well, what fascinates me is clearly we would benefit as a society if we educated for sustainability. How do you get there? And so I love thinking about and architecting and engaging people in a comprehensive social change process. Uh, and so I'd like to just speak a little bit about one of our initiatives called the Nourish Initiative and, and some of the pieces that I think are important when you're trying to catalyze social change. Well, one of the things we, we definitely need is a common language. And so today we've begun to unpack that a little bit. 
I think the field of education for sustainability really needs a common language. And uh, you know, that's gonna take people talking about it, networks, communities of practice, really engaging with one another about what that language is. Um, the other thing is I think we really need to beautifully tell stories that illustrate what we're up to. So for example, with our Nourish Initiative, which is focused on food, health, and sustainability, you know, to kick it off, we produced a PBS special. Then we edited 54 short films with thought leaders from the field. So imagine if we had something like that for education for sustainability, a PBS special, or short films that you know, really gave us this diverse set of perspectives from practitioners and researchers and teachers. Um, so telling stories, I think, is a really critical part of a, a social change process. Um, and then I think you know, we do need a theoretical base. I think we need principles and frameworks and a lot of what Jamie talked about in terms of uh, performance indicators and standards. We really do need that. And um, that's something I think needs to emerge through, through some consensus in the field as well. Um, and then we need to figure out how to engage the largest number of stakeholders in the country, in the world, in, in communities. And uh, so you know, we've had a little experience with this Nourish Initiative, which we view as a national and international initiative. And you know, we started, our entry point was really principally K-12. So we designed a curriculum. We created a website hub. We started designing some professional learning opportunities for, for teachers and educators. Um, we created the, the media that I spoke of. And um, you know, then we sort of put it out in the world. And within about three years, we've reached 20,000 educators around the country. Uh, and I think what allowed that rapid uptake was, first of all, that there was systems thinking. Our kind of uh, tagline for this initiative is, uh, what's the story of your food? And we define our work as food literacy. And our quick definition of food literacy is understanding the story of your food from farm to table and back to the soil. So we're, we're trying to frame this idea of systems thinking within food, and, and that food literacy is really a new competence that we need. Um, so one of the things that's really surprised and delighted me with the work we've done uh, with Nourish is how it has ended up in many other organizations and communities that we never anticipated. So we started with schools, and then we started getting interest from communities and uh, public health professionals and faith-based institutions. And then within the last couple years, we got a call from the US Navy and from some corporate folks. And so you know, what it shows me is there is a hunger, literally, for people to think more comprehensively, to organize and align around some powerful ideas and I think you know, that's the same place that we're at right now with education for sustainability. And we, we have to build this field together. It's going to take a lot of collaboration. Um, so that really is part of our reason for being here today. The next question we wanted to ask is we want to open it up for Q&A, because I know you have a lot of questions. We're going to combine these two. Um, the kinds of challenges we've been facing we thought you'd like to hear, since you might have uh, actually experienced some yourself and some of the favorable conditions required to do this work and to improve this work. Um, 
So, yeah, please. <laughs> so my go first again is a little game, and it, it gets right to a challenge. Is that okay? And I'll try to go as fast as I can. We so, expect nothing less. Oh, good. <laughs> I have permission. Uh, so in this game, you do have to, um, it's called thumb wrestling. So again, choose if you want to play or not, but you need a partner. So how about if you want to play, find a partner. It's fun, so I would highly recommend it. Takes you about a minute. Great. All right, your partner up. We need a we need a picture. This is great. You're, you're crossing the divide. <laughs> Does anybody want a partner who doesn't have one? Raise your hand. I'll do it with you. Cool. All right, get a partner. Okay. Good. You want a partner? Are you happy? Yeah. You happy? You have a, she would be happy to have a partner. Okay, great. Okay, I don't have anybody to demonstrate with. All right, well, I'm going to have to do it myself. All right, all right. So here's, has anybody played this game before? So it's called thumb wrestling. All right, well, it's okay. When you, when you were little, you might have played it. But so the goal, so here's the way it goes, okay? You, you first, you put your hands like this. Can you see this? Everybody's got that basic hand grip. Is that right? Okay, pretty straightforward. And the idea is you say one, you're one, two, three, four. What the little kids say is this. One, two, three, four, I declare a thumb war. But we're not going to do that. So we're just going to say one, two, three, four, okay? And then your goal is to get as many points as you can. Now, this is how you get a point. Trap the thumb, okay? Then you reset, and you go one, two, three, four, and then you have to, whoever traps, you know, that's how you get a point. Does that make sense? You have 30 seconds, all right? When I say go, you go, and you see how many points you can get, okay? You ready? Go. Not long, just one trap, and then you to do. So thank your partner. Thank you, partner. Okay. So I need a quick sharing. I need a quick sharing. Tell me how many in your group, what your, your numbers were. Seven. No, how many? So seven points. Seven together? Oh. Together. Totally. So, okay. What'd you get? Okay. Hold on. How much you get? One, two, tie, two and two. Two and two, this is what I like to hear, okay. Uh, he had one, and then I thought that we'd get more points in 30 seconds if we collaborated and even... Oh, she's a plant, she's a plant. Okay, so that's, all right, so wonder why, now who got the 18? Where's the 18? Did you okay, one, tell, two, tell us about the 18, go ahead. Okay, so listen to what my instructions were. Your goal is to get as many points as you can. So we are hardwired, right? Right now, the hardwiring is 
competition, right? There's an opportunity there which some of you took uh, for collaboration. And the collaboration got you four or five times more than the competition. And I think when we talk about the challenges, I think even in the education, education for sustainability world, there's uh, you know, my organization, your organization, and what's the amplification that can happen when those dots get connected and are working together? What was the multiple opportunities for um, collaboration and for growth that we're not taking advantage of right now? So I just, it's a fun little exercise, but we, it's so interesting that you know, 90% we go right for the competition when there is an opportunity that would get us something even better. So, And I'll just add, to, from my point of view, one of the greatest challenges is being stuck in our thinking and um, requiring new ways of thinking, but oftentimes our identity, our status, and sometimes our money are tied to the old way of thinking. And so we need to help people feel safe leaving their comfort zone and entering into the new paradigm uh, where all good things can happen. Um, uh, so that's one of the big ones. I want to open it up, so I'm not going to go too much further. And then in terms of a favorable condition, absolutely leadership. And, and people who are willing and able to assume it's possible to turn this big ship around. I, I would say that's one of the most important favorable conditions. Yeah, Linda, what do you think are some of the, the big challenges uh, of doing this work uh, successfully? Well, I think that's why I played that game, because I do think um, it's a little bit of a fiefdom world out there where there's silos um, in terms of even our community of education for sustainability. And I think the, the act of this act right here, the three of us coming together, is going to produce something much greater. It's the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. I mean, I really believe that. And I think we need to act in that way in, that, in the education for sustainability world. Um, I also think there's a definite mindset of um, that education, that sustainability means I have to give something up. Um, and I think that is one of the biggest things to address, that it's an opportunity. It's an amplification, whatever you want to say, but it's the definite, whenever I talk to a lot of people, if I say that word, it sounds like, you want me to give up, turn off the lights, you want me to change the light bulbs, you know, it's all about what I have to stop doing, but not what I get. Or a loss of autonomy yeah. and scarcity. And I think that mindset is one of the biggest challenges, but it's, if we know it, then we can address it. Right. And that's, of course, unsustainability, not sustainability. Yeah, it, it, it's also sort of one of the great cohering, you know, forces that we have in education is, is to really bring things together under this, this umbrella. So yeah, the, the only uh, point that I wanted to make uh, in, in terms of uh, kind of challenges um, is I, I do think we need a community of practice. I think this needs to be a professional field that really is grounded on, you know, research and, and theory and practice. And we need to create more opportunities for us to come together where we can really hash these things out, share promising practices, you know, bring forth research questions. Because 
that's what I think is, is largely missing is we don't have that sort of core rigor yet that you know, will give this, uh, I think, the, the clear win that, it, that everyone knows it is. So with that, anything else from we, you guys? We just want to know what you're thinking and what your questions are. We have some time, uh, and then we can close out right at the end. Why don't we move here? Yeah. We'll circulate, please. Okay. You guys want to circulate these around? Yeah. Okay. Please. One, can I start? Oh, um, sure. Sorry. One statement, I think, um, has to do with who tells the narratives, okay, in education. I come from Detroit. So how do we design for inclusion of all students, marginalized or not? You know, to, from my point of view, that is a design question um, in terms of what's in the curriculum, how the curriculum is taught, particularly differentiated instructional strategies to include all learners. Um, and we know how to do that. Uh, I think the challenge is only that people's knowledge of how to do that is fragile, and they need time. They need time in the summer. They need time every week, every month, faculty, I mean, um, at any institution to actually receive the professional development, get the coaching they need, and have those critical conversations so they can produce elegant uh, courses and units of study that do exactly that. Um, and it takes a few years, but it doesn't take 100 years. It takes three to five years to get enough of those going so that you really see the difference in student learning and in an inclusive uh, uh, difference for all kids in a, in a building or a district. So I think that's a wonderful question. And you know, we have, this is good, because we actually haven't talked about this question together. But um, you know, I think if you're, if you're doing this well, I think the narrative comes from the, its own population. I don't think education for sustainability comes with its own narrative. That, that would be my, my sense. So for example, I listened to um, Severn, the Greenhorn founder extraordinaire. She was just unbelievable this morning. I don't know if you heard her. As, uh, and she was talking about um, getting new young farmers onto the land, right? So from a, if, I, if, if I were to think about um, a narrative-free uh, EFS education for sustainability um, um, tool that I might give her in her work, it would be to understand how to create what's called reinforcing feedback, right? So reinforcing feedback is in all living systems. Uh, it's, you know, uh, if you leave your money in the bank and you get interest, right, exponential growth, anything that amplifies, right? And so for her, I would just give her the tool, and I might say something like, I wrote this down, what set of interconnections can amplify new entry farmers in the handover of land, right? So it's not my narrative, it's hers. But she's got a tool that she can use to design a kind of change that she wants. I, I think that's what I would hope for. Uh, I don't necessarily have a question, but um, you may think that 
uh, biologists that work on organisms have a clue what a system is. And I just want to share this with you that the National Science Foundation is actually very eager to put Humpty Dumpty back together. And it turns out to be a really, really big challenge. So, yeah. uh, Well, science has been taking things apart, hasn't it? Exactly. And so, not necessarily yeah. looking at the relationships between the parts. We, we don't know how the organism works, despite the fact that we have made great progress on the techniques. We can look at you know, genes, proteins, and whatnot. But we don't know how it goes up, how it causes up um, that an organism breathes more, or, and so on and so on. Yeah. yeah. But we can teach young people about that and learn together. Um, I was just wondering if if you have obviously there's a lot of resources that we can look into um, when we go home, but if you have any particular um, techniques or systems that you could briefly share with us, um, especially for people who don't necessarily have the resources or the position to change the curriculum that they have to teach or the institution that they're a part of, if there are any any techniques, you know, a la think pair share that you found to be useful in in bringing this kind of thinking um, to an educational setting. There are lots of them. You should definitely get the systems thinking playbook. Um, my my recommendation would be to do transformative learning experiences as often and as soon as possible. There are many, many simulations. We have some at the Cloud Institute. Kirk has some. Uh, Linda has them. That's how you engage an audience in thinking differently. Um, so that's the quickest way. There are so many different strategies. It would be hard to describe them now, but there are some great. Uh, Becoming a Better Teacher is another great resource for you by Giselle Martin Kniep, which is all kinds of great strategies for teaching anything you want to teach. So that would be my quick response. And, you know, another body of, of great work is in what people now call design thinking. And you'll remember earlier we were talking about a design-led revolution. I think this is essential. It, it goes to me hand-in-hand hand with systems thinking. And um, the woman from Detroit, I was going to say, you know, one of the ways to really, you know, give this local authenticity is focus people on issues of community concern. Everyone's got them and then design solutions. So I think that's always a great starting point for this work is what issues are we concerned with in our community? Let's design solutions. That brings people together. It triggers the systems thinking and the design thinking. So quickly, I'd say the playbook is now available as an ebook, which I'm ex super excited about. So it's really super cheap and so that might be a useful. Uh, and, and then here's something really practical you can walk out the door with, OK? Uh, get a bucket of, I don't know what age you're talking about. What, I should ask that first. OK, so get a, a, bu get a bowl of nuts or a bucket of Legos or something, OK? But just a heap, of, a pile of laundry, <laughs> OK? And then put a human being like this one next to that bucket and ask, what's the difference between that pile and this person? Serious, okay, and then ask, okay, if I take that pair of jeans out of that bucket or that pile, does that change the way that pile works? And your average person will say no. <laughs> and then if I say, well, if I take the heart out of Jamie and I got the heart over here and Jamie's here, does the heart work on its own? No. Does it Jamie work? No. The way the parts are arranged matters. The parts are interrelated in such a way. So Jamie is not the same as that heap. 
And there's a whole bunch of things like Jamie called a living, a living system that have certain characteristics that we actually can't see. They're sort of, we have to imagine them, right? But there's interrelationships here that, the, that her parts, for the most part, I mean, we could probably argue that there's some you could take out of here that would work. <laughs> but for the most part, it, it, that's a system. It, the, the, they're interdependent. They interact. They form something greater than they. If I just put all of her parts in a pile, she would be a pile. But it has to be that interaction that produces breath, speed, you know, life, all the things that come out of Jamie. And that's the stuff. That's the the distinction that you want people to start to look for is what else around me is like that. You know, taking the wolves out of Yellowstone is big now, right? Everybody's talking about that the wolves came back to Yellowstone and all the changes. Well, they realized that, you know, that, that the whole ecosystem is, it was, is um, tightly connected. What else around us is tightly connected? And when we have that sensitivity, then we tinker differently. Aldo Leopold made a great comment about that, so. You want people to feel systems, intuitively feel systems. One or two more. We still have a couple of minutes. We're doing so well. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, go ahead, whoever has. Good time. afternoon. Uh, my name is Dr. Denise Hall. I'm coming from Northern Colorado, veterinarian minister, and I've also been an educator at the community and four-year college level. And what I have found is the inability of our young people to do critical thinking and experiment in critical thought. And so I'm fairly new to the sustainability education, although I've been called to do sustainable living and stewardship agriculture. And I just want to know, I'm sure it's available on some of the websites you've shared, but if you would be willing at this time to share how critical thinking, critical thought is incorporated or contrasting with sustainability education. Thank you. Um, so I would just say that um, it's not that they're unable to critically think, it's that they don't have a lot of practice doing it. If you're in a situation where you don't see young people thinking critically, it's because they're not practicing it. It's not a, a, it's not a competency problem, it's a practice problem. And that's because a lot of folks are spending a lot of time doing test prep and memorizing, if you see that. Um, you can't educate for a sustainable future without critical thinking, creative thinking, systems thinking, metacognition, um, self-regulated learning. You need all of it. Um, we use essential and guiding questions, which is inquiry-based learning, which by definition involves and requires critical thinking. Um, we use document-based questions where students would have, well, you ask a juicy question, and the students have to draw on a variety of different sources and then form their own opinion, uh, addressing that question by uh, drawing on evidence from the text. Um, there are many, many strategies for helping kids to think deeply and well and to develop questioning strategies because our job is to create favorable conditions for them to ask better questions than the ones we're asking. Um, and so you've got to make sure that questioning is alive and well in the classroom, which, by the way, does help everybody even do well on the test. But you have to give people permission and, and help them feel safe that they can actually do the delicious pedagogy and get to the end at the same time. And again, that requires time and critical conversations among faculty and educators. Uh, which goes back to the organization, the need for organizational learning and not silos in the industrial model. That, that'd be the way I'd approach so that question. Is your curriculum really designed 
Absolutely, it has to be. It has to start there. It has to be. I, mean, I, I do work in a school that's, that's paramount. Yeah, it has to. And again, start is a little tricky because sometimes the question is the thing that triggers the critical thinking. So you start where you, wherever you can start, but critical thinking has to be in there pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one more, I think we're almost done. We may be back there. Yeah. And new schools, also designing new. It's not easier, but if you're working with existing curriculum and you're introducing ideas of sustainability, doesn't it quite quickly become clear that the existing curriculum isn't necessarily adequate for the job? Sure. That's why it's so much fun. Yeah. Because it's not working for anybody. It's not like everybody's happy out there. You know what I mean? Ah, but you can sustainabilize anything. It doesn't matter what you've got on your shelf or under your bed or wherever people keep their stuff. Um, you can bring this lens to any existing thing. So it, it doesn't cost any more to educate for sustainability. In fact, it costs a lot more to educate for unsustainability, which is what we've been doing. So it's actually cheaper to do, to do what we're talking about. And you save a lot on remediation and uh, uh, brain drain. And by the way, it's a great way to bring together a faculty and a school is to rethink the existing curriculum by bringing that sustainability lens. And it'll trigger a lot of creativity, a lot of new thinking, a lot of new conversations, which is part of what we need. So we're calling time. You want to turn your slide You have a question here, right? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. To what extent do you incorporate social justice and decolonization into education for sustainability, or is there any intersectionality there? Absolutely. Again, if you don't have social justice, you can't have sustainability. You need some sort of dynamic equilibrium to have a healthy uh, system that moves forward, whether it's socially or ecologically, they, they work well together. So we talk a lot about cultural preservation and transformation and the relationship between healthy ecosystems and healthy social systems and their interdependence on each other. So you have to. Again, that could be an entry point, especially for a social scientist, um, linking back to, I had a sociologist quite quickly who um, was transferred to the sustainability uh, college at her university in Tokyo. She was so mad because she's a sociologist and she couldn't figure out what the heck that had to do with sustainability because she thought it was some environmental thing. And uh, so she came to my workshop and she was mad, you could tell. And she said, I just don't know what this has to do with my research. I said, well, what's your research on? She said, how one generation leaves a legacy for the next generation. Oh. <laughs> I said, I don't think you're gonna have any trouble seeing the connection. She came and shadowed me for two weeks after that, you know. So yeah, everything, there's hardly anything doesn't apply to sustaining human life on the planet indefinitely or having humans thrive over time. Um, we did want to just give you a chance. We've got our cards. There's a couple of things. We have bookmarks uh, if you want a, some swag. Um, put your names on our mailing list. We're hanging around for a few minutes, and if the next group comes in, we can always take it outside. Thank you so much. Uh, fill out the evaluation forms. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs>